Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 332. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. And today I've got a very special boss tip episode for you. This was somewhat by request after talking to a lot of you actually on Instagram. Uh, as I've started going public with my pregnancy, I've started sharing some more behind the scenes elements, the good, the wonderful, the exciting, and the ugly, and the like not so exciting, including fighting my insurance company on a few different things. Uh, And as I started down that track uh, and sharing some of my pregnancy journey on Instagram, I realized how much money had to do with preparing to become a parent. And I don't talk that often about personal finance myself on this podcast, but there are certain big life changes or transitions that have been so instrumental in my life that I really want to just pull back the curtain a bit and be frank and be transparent about my experience in hopes that being candid and and, and sort of pushing back on the taboo of being so secretive around money can be enlightening and empowering and hopefully encouraging for all of us just to understand, you know, how how someone actually can make a plan. You know, if that's a goal of yours in the future to have children, to start a family, I want to just be clear about the financial journey that we've been on to getting here because having kids is expensive. Now, this is a longer than usual boss tip. I'm just going to warn you now. It's probably going to be a doozy. If hearing a lot about money stuff is triggering for you or it's just not enjoyable for you, there is no shame in just skipping this episode. <laughs> Obviously, I want you to listen, but uh, you know, don't uns- unsubscribe because this is an unusual type of episode. But I hope uh, you know, if this isn't the right conversation for you or this doesn't apply to you. You don't have to listen to it if it's just going to trigger not great feelings for you. But if this is very much of interest to you, know that I'm writing this whole thing out in a blog post in great detail with lots of hyperlinks, lots of additional resources that'll be in show notes. And you can head to the Bossed Up blog for today's corresponding blog post that really lists all this out. All right, let's jump in. We know that having kids is expensive between... (laughs) The high cost of childcare, the low availability of paid parental leave, and the wildly unpredictable healthcare costs. Those are just some of the reasons why our birth rate here in the US is on the decline in a major way. That's especially true for my fellow millennials who already hold the record for being the most educated and most indebted generation ever. That being said, I find these often heard lines like, well, you can never be prepared to have a child or you'll just never be ready to have a kid to be like a really strange way of coping with what feels like an impossible hill to climb. 
it strikes me as some kind of denial and this like blind leap of faith. And I I don't know, I find it somewhat alarming. (laughs) Now, clearly people have babies every day without a plan financial or otherwise. So that's certainly one way to proceed. And not everyone has the luxury of thinking this through and and making a plan and saving for the long term. But for me, having grown up in a household, especially where financial uncertainty and anxiety and stress was just the norm, I have spent the majority of my adulthood trying to find a more, not only prepared, but just financially empowered path forward. To me, any amount of planning is more reassuring than just tossing your hands up and accepting this false idea that you just can't prepare for a major life change like becoming a parent for the first time. So today I'm sharing how Brad the Boo and I chose to proceed and how we've been fortunate to proceed when it comes to financially preparing for our baby on the way due this September. Now, A few important disclaimers. This is just my personal experience, and it might not have anything to do with the best path forward for you. I'm not a financial advisor, coach, or financial expert of any kind, so please consult your financial professionals of choice when designing the right money plan for you. And this whole thing, to me, it's important to acknowledge the ultimate irony here. This whole thing is a gamble, okay? The more time you spend saving meticulously, building up your nest egg, and financially preparing for a child, the more we all roll the dice when it comes to our own fertility, which is super duper hard to predict. Now, I was fortunate to have a relatively easy time getting pregnant in about five months of trying. But we all know of friends and family members and literally millions of women every year who struggle to get pregnant, even at relatively young ages. And I know family members who've had to shell out tens of thousands of dollars for IVF treatments to make their dreams of parenthood a possibility. And those things are rarely covered by insurance. So for me, I did find a little bit of peace of mind About two years ago, when we started getting serious about talking about having a baby, by testing my fertility with Modern Fertility, an at-home testing service. I've linked to episode 101 in the show notes today, which kind of walks through that whole process that I went through. And I was really glad to see early on that there were no red flags that that test had alerted me to, had there been. I would have gone to see a doctor, a fertility specialist, and probably got to move on a lot faster. But truthfully, even with something like, you know, fertility testing ahead of time, you just never know what your journey to conception will entail. So if it is really important to you, you may want to move your timeline up by just lowering the bar for yourself on your financial goals. That's a really big, important disclaimer here. I also want to be candid and transparent about what we're working with, right? So as it pertains to income, Brad the Boo and I are fortunate to have jobs that we love that compensate us pretty well and put our collective household income around $130,000 a year. Although my income tends to fluctuate quite a bit year over year, it's a little bit harder to predict. And frankly, you know, we've both earned a lot more in the past doing work we love less. So I have really consider it my lifelong goal to find the right balance between maximizing income 
and maximizing our lifestyle, right? So hiring full-time employees for my business is part of a strategic investment in my business, is part of making my life easier, is part of making my maternity leave possible, which we should save for another podcast coming up. Uh, but it also directly reduced my income, right? I, I've made more money when I had fewer people on payroll, or at least I should say I took home more money from my business when I had fewer people on payroll. And at the end of the day, listen, starting and running a business has been one of the hardest things I've ever done. And I certainly do aspire to make some more money in the future. But to me, the biggest benefit of running a business that I'm so passionate about is the flexibility and the lifestyle that it affords me, not to mention the impact that I get to be a part of in this world. So there's more to it than money. But yes, we have a decent chunk of change to work with that puts us in a very privileged position to even have this conversation. We also have to be candid about our cost of living and our debt. We live in a moderately expensive city, Denver, Colorado, but we are fortunate to own our small single-family home as well as a second rental property, which I talked all about in another episode, all about building wealth through real estate back in episode 88. (laughs) That was probably around the last time I talked money on this podcast, so really it's a relatively rare occurrence. Uh, And not everyone's into it. I get that. Um, But you can read all about that in episode 88 or listen all up, you know, more for more on that. And this year, we did take advantage of the record low mortgage interest rates by refinancing our primary residence into a 30-year mortgage. So our monthly mortgage payment is surprisingly low, about $1,600 a month. As it comes down to debt, Brad and I both paid off our modest amounts of student loan Uh, a student loan debt years ago. We both graduated with about $52,000 in debt between the two of us, so collectively. And currently, the only debt we're really paying down, besides our mortgages, is the approximately $14,000 in debt we have related to our real estate investing business. So, you know, lots of costs related to keeping up our properties, as well as making strategic investments in them and buying homes as well and and making those things happen in the last few years. We really consider real estate our long-term side hustle. You know, this is a goal of ours. We're hoping to make this a long-term thing. We're really just getting started. But because of Brad's very handyman skills, we buy, renovate, and then hold for the long-term. We're not flippers. We're not looking to sell right away. This is a a long-term investment strategy as part of our retirement savings plan. And then as it pertains to other debt, um, we don't have any auto debt right now because Brad bought his used Ford F-150 truck for about $13,000 in cash four years ago when we moved to Denver. Now, obviously, everyone's personal finance journey is totally different. The best thing I have ever done is educate myself starting about a decade ago when I created my first ever monthly budget. And if that's where you're at, if that's where you're coming from, don't be intimidated by the hill you have to climb. Don't be intimidated by this process, right? It can be done. I went from complete financial illiteracy to very complex, uh, somewhat obsessed with personal finance now. And I can attest to how life-changing it can be. I've also interviewed countless financial experts on this podcast, including my own financial advisor, Chris Caruso. I'll link to a few episodes 
of note in today's show notes. And if you're just getting started taking charge of your financial future, take it one step at a time. The most important thing is that you start. Uh, like I said, I've become really into, I've, I've gotten really into financial literacy and education, and it has completely changed my life. All right, that's enough disclaimers. I just thought it was important to level set and be candid with y'all. I don't know how anyone can talk about, here's how we're saving for baby without just being frank regarding what you have to work with, right? Because everyone's situation is different. Um, and it feels a little vulnerable. I'm not going to lie. It feels a little vulnerable to share that much information with everyone publicly. But I think it's important because anything else is hyperbolic fluff, you know. And I, I'm, I'm trying to make this as practical and not mystical as possible because for so many of us, money is like magical thinking. And it doesn't have to be as long as we're willing to be transparent with one another. So I want to break this down into a few components. We're going to talk through the gear, right, the baby stuff that there is to buy. We're going to talk through childcare costs. We're going to talk through parental leave. And we're going to start with health care and budgeting for birth. Uh, and thank you, by the way, for putting up with my breathiness. Between now and September, that's what you're going to get on this podcast, man, because I, I just can't breathe like I used to. <laughs> There's a little baby in there taking up a little bit of real estate in my body. So thanks for putting up with me. Here we go. Healthcare and budgeting for birth. My very first step in budgeting for baby when I was just like, okay, how do I even wrap my head around this project, so to speak? was to try and get some cost estimates from the two regional hospitals I was considering at the time for labor and delivery. Years later, it was not a hard choice because my mom now works at one of those hospitals in the labor and delivery ward, so I'll be delivering in her place of work, which is really exciting. Um, but at the time, finding cost estimates took some serious digging. I did find a few local bloggers who had shared their recent experiences, which I thought was helpful just in getting unbiased reviews, so to speak, and hearing about, you know, their experience with billing and expenses. And each hospital's billing department does have rough estimates available. They're not very reliable it's medical billing is such a murky science, some might say an art form, but you should be able to call if you can't find them online and they should be able to provide you with some kind of estimates. Of course, we're all making sweeping assumptions about how your birth is going to go, which is just like so much of this planning process relies on being making assumptions. But I'm trying to think worst case and best case, what are the costs that we're looking at? From there... I checked in with my health insurance provider, Aetna, by reading over my explanation of benefits documents to get a sense of how many out-of-pocket expenses we might incur. Now, this process has proven to be maddening because despite some pretty lofty promises, like saying that all prenatal care is covered at 100% with no co-pays, Aetna continues to find a way to pass costs along to me for routine prenatal care. For example, they claimed that the initial ultrasound I had at my nurse midwife's appointment at 12 weeks to confirm my pregnancy, like that was the point of the ultrasound, was to say, do you have a baby in there, actually? They deemed that not prenatal care and instead build it just as any other, quote, outpatient diagnostic test. I've appealed that claim 
as well as a few others that just like they just seem to be failing to live up to their proclaimed coverage for which Brad and I pay approximately $320 a month per person. And the appeals process is equally maddening. I'm not going to get on that soapbox right now, but go go hang out with me on Instagram at Emily Aries to learn more about that story. It's saved under my pregnancy highlights. Um, I have already had them successfully reverse at least one charge that they had miscategorized. So I am reminded that sometimes putting in a little extra effort and time to fight, to read the fine print, to call, to protest, to appeal, uh, to make a fuss, quite frankly, can absolutely pay off. So don't forget to do that. (laughs) I have an episode uh, on the blog and, and a blog post on on like saving money on everyday fees and expenses that I'll link I'll link to and the same philosophy applies. Sometimes calling and complaining can actually yield good results. So don't be afraid to be assertive. Now when checking in on my insurance coverage, I paid special attention to my annual deductible, which is about $1000, and my annual out-of-pocket maximum, which supposedly states that I shouldn't have to shell out any more than $4,000 in my own personal cash during any given year. And that's like worst case scenario if we, you know, spend every penny. And my financial advisor, Chris Caruso, said you should plan on having to spend your whole out-of-pocket maximum. Uh, So I'm grateful to have that coverage, but I'm skeptical. Given how adept insurance companies are at making money by just not living up to their promises, we could be you know, we could be charged even more. I don't know. We're going to find out. So about two years ago, when I started getting really serious about planning for a baby, I set a goal to have at least $4,000 in my health savings account, which I had opened up through an online service that I really like, actually, totally recommend, not sponsored, called Further. You can find them at hellofurther.com. And just to give you a little background, HSA funds, in case you haven't heard of them before, are a great way to save max, uh, save money in a tax-efficient account because you can also invest in the stock market via your HSA fund if you so choose. You don't have to. You can treat it like a regular savings account. But if you do invest it via your HSA, you can watch your money grow in interest that is tax-free. You'll never pay tax on that interest. Now, that said, you can only ever spend the money in your HSA account on medical expenses, and the IRS does limit how much you can save in your HSA every year. So for the past two and a half, three years or so, I've maxed out my savings uh, according to those IRS limits by putting aside about $300 a month, and then in my HSA account, I invested half of those funds in a mutual fund that had last year a 25% return, which was just crazy. 2020 was bonkers uh, in terms of the stock market. But yeah, I put it in a mutual fund with a target date that's pretty diversified and came out on top, which is great, weirdly. Uh, Didn't see that coming at the start of 2020, but I was grateful uh, for for what turned out to be a relatively good year for for the two of us financially. Now, that has left me with about $4,000 in cash in my HSA, which I've already spent some of covering the prenatal expenses we've already incurred, and approximately $4,200 invested 
in my HSA. And hopefully I'll just continue to watch that grow until I need to cash it out and cover other out-of-pocket expenses, especially if we choose to have or try to have or are successful in trying to have another kid. Bottom line to remember when it comes to healthcare and planning for the cost of birth, healthcare expenses are significant, especially in the U.S., and inevitable, right? You're going to spend money on your healthcare at some point or another. So opening an HSA account is a great way to start saving effectively, efficiently, and in a tax-smart way. Start early and put aside whatever you can on a consistent basis, and that cash will stack up faster than you think. I put it right into my monthly budget. I basically make it happen at the start of every month. Some people like to put things like that on autopilot, just auto-transfer, and it, it matters years down the road. All right, now let's shift gears and talk a little bit about funding parental leave. Last year, Colorado became the ninth state in the nation to pass a state-funded parental leave insurance program, which is very exciting, but it is not yet available. So in the next few years, as it gets implemented, businesses like mine will be able to purchase insurance for which we have to pay monthly premiums, just like health insurance, and every full-time W-2 wage worker in the state will contribute to that fund, that insurance fund, just like Medicare and Social Security. Now, many of the details around how much of a person's income will be replaced when they're on parental leave, how much employers versus employees will contribute, and how many weeks will be covered for everyone's parental leave, all of that is still being worked out. But regardless, none of this matters for me right now. None of this is in effect just yet. So for me, and especially given that I'm self-employed and my I don't work for a big company that has a parental leave policy uh, or program in place, I have no other option than to self-fund my leave. So that's why I've been saving up a fund in, this one is in my American Express High Yield Savings account, which again, I'm not sponsored, but I highly recommend. We have all kinds of our savings, all my savings funds are, almost all of them are kept in there um, because I've seen a pretty good interest rate there. Uh, And I've been saving up enough money there to replace my own paycheck for about 12 weeks, three months. That's my goal. And I've done this by saving four hundred dollars or so a month for about three years to make this happen, which is insane to think about. That was a long time. That's a lot of money. Uh, but you know, piece by piece, step by step, we are gonna get there and that is giving me major peace of mind. Now, if my business is doing especially well this fall when the baby arrives, I might just be able to keep paying myself from the business while still being able to cover payroll for my employees. But that is just too difficult to predict, and I don't want to count on it. And frankly, especially after 2020, I mean, it's just the cash flow is hard to predict right now. It's not a normal year. Pandemic is not over. The economy is not normal or that predictable. And my whole business model has transformed so much in the last year. Like, what is normal? You know what I mean? So I also don't want to put myself in a position where I'm coming back to work full time and have no cash in my business bank accounts. So we want to be in a strong cash position when I return to the office. The way I see it, 
the money's coming from one of my accounts, either my business accounts or my personal savings. Either way, that's why I started saving years ago to be able to afford myself the time off that I want, which is significant, and the peace of mind that we won't be financially strapped with a newborn. There are enough things to stress about with a new baby, and I really, really don't want money to be one of them. If we spend less than what I've saved in those three months, which is a distinct possibility, it's not like I'm going to be going out. It's not like I'm going to be saving for my parental leave fund. All the money I've been spending every month on all these savings goals will no longer be a thing (laughs) come baby. That's great. You know, like if we have more money in that fund than we need, I'll just keep it growing for the next baby if that's something that we end up doing. Now, Brad is in a similar spot when it comes to his parental leave. He works for a small business here in Denver that has no policies and no parental leave programs on the books, and they've actually never had an employee uh, have a child while working there before. So there's just so much totally up in the air. There's like no protections, no assurances. Um, Now... Fortunately, Brad has made himself invaluable to his boss, the founder of the company, who is very open to negotiating some kind of paid time off, and they're in conversations about that now. Uh, But that's just like, that goes to show you that here in America, luck is a big part of it, and like, you know, making yourself invaluable, like just being good isn't good enough. It's like so wild um, how few protections the two of us have. And that's just the way it is. Now, Brad's goal is to take four weeks off entirely and then return part-time. He and I are still negotiating that as well. I would love him to stay home for longer because I think it's such a magical and important, frankly, time. Um, But that's another podcast. That's another conversation for another day. Bottom line, like so many other Americans – There's no safety net for the two of us when it comes to financing our parental leave. We are completely on our own, simply relying on years of sacrifice and saving, as well as the sheer luck that we've had in not having to drain our savings in the past to cover any unforeseen catastrophic expenses. Knocking on wood, right? So it's just a crazy reminder of how... Uh, how few protections workers have in this country and how far we have to go. All right, let's talk about childcare. So at my second prenatal checkup, which was around like, I want to say 14 or 16, maybe it was 16 weeks, my nurse midwife, like as part of her routine medical care, asked me if I'd started looking into childcare options and I couldn't, I couldn't really help but laugh at how ridiculous that is, that in our nation where affordable childcare is so hard to find, it's like our, our prenatal healthcare provider's jobs to get us thinking about figuring out that puzzle when our babies are barely larger than a plum in utero. Like, that's also wild to me. Now, that being said, Brad and I have, in fact, been reflecting on our hopes and options for childcare. So our particular goal is to hire a nanny three days a week to care for our baby in our home and then have Brad take the baby for one work-from-home day each week, which will basically not be a work day. It's kind of – that's part of his going back to work part-time plan. It's definitely going to be more childcare than work. 
And then for me to do the same, take the baby for one day a week. I have a ton of flexibility as a small business owner with a great team of full-time employees uh, so I can adjust my schedule as needed. And hopefully, God willing, we have a happy, healthy, wonderful, chill baby. Although I do have the ability to flex my schedule as needed. Hopefully, we'll be able to get on a routine. And honestly, I just doubt that I'll be as productive in the first year of our child's life when it comes to work than I have been historically. And I'm just accepting that now. We're going to talk more about that in an upcoming episode. But that is what I'm planning for. Now, according to some quick research that I've done, nannies here in Denver charge between $20 and $25 an hour. So... That's great. I think that's a good, great wage, especially for caring for an infant, which is a difficult thing to do. Uh, But that leaves us with a grand total of about $2,400 a month for the child care we need for three days a week, okay? Oh, that's a lot of money, right? So what we're currently exploring, not, you know, still TBD, not finalized, is we're in talks with a few friends locally who are also expecting and are, are, you know, having children around the same time. So collectively, we might be able to reduce our costs via a nanny share agreement where we'll split the cost of one nanny to care for two infants. Some of my friends are looking to have full-time nannies. Some are looking part It's just there's a lot still to be determined because they don't all live right near me either. So what's the cost of like a 40-minute round trip commute. (laughs) It's very tricky calculation, but it's something we're exploring. Either way, we know it's going to be expensive. So around the one-year mark, we're aiming to put our little one in daycare full-time, which will hopefully save us about a grand a month in childcare costs. Now, we're very fortunate to have my family nearby as well. Both my parents and two younger siblings in their 20s moved to Denver from the East Coast last year. But I'm not really planning on relying on family for anything like regular other than the occasional date night out, especially because my folks aren't retired. They, you know, we all have lives and, and work and things to do. Uh, that said, it's a huge blessing to know that we've got tons of built-in babysitters if we're ever in a bind uh, and if we ever want date night. Not having to pay for the date and the babysitter <laughs> is a huge relief, and that's such a privilege of having my family nearby. Bottom line, much like parental leave, there are a few options for working families to find affordable childcare. Everyone seems to just patch together their own imperfect unregulated solution. And it's just hard to believe that this is how it actually works in America because it doesn't really seem to be working that well for most people. And so for me, a plan for safe and affordable childcare reform is an absolute prerequisite for any politician who wants my vote because this is something we really need to tackle uh, in America and probably elsewhere, but definitely in America. All right, final big section here I want to talk through with you is expenses as it relates to baby gear and nursery. I'm not going to give you like a full list of here's everything I bought because I feel like that's what 99% of the blogs out there on preparing for a baby are about, and I'm not trying to redo that. But to give you the, the high points, we're trying to keep things relatively minimalist when it comes to preparing the baby's nursery. 
Brad is actually making us a changing table and a crib, which is super cool. It's probably not going to be the most cost-effective <laughs> way of proceeding, but especially given how much time and how much of his talent he's spending on this, but it's pretty nice and pretty cool to think that he's going to have that much um, influence like in creating the vision that we have for this baby's room. It's very exciting. Although, obviously, I did buy a crib mattress and all the safety precautions that you're probably worried about right now, you know, all the specs are being taken into consideration. So even though we're making those two items ourselves, Brad is proceeding in the safest possible way. I, on the other hand, have been in charge of researching and shopping for everything else that we need. And I'm really trying to just piecemeal things out one month at a time, you know, not buying too much at once, just trying to keep expenses manageable and get a jump start on things. Between using a ton of those Bed Bath & Beyond coupons, the ones that you always like ignore that come in the mail, I'm finally using them because Bed Bath & Beyond sells a ton of baby essentials. Uh, that's helping save 20% off of all of that, that stuff. And then finding uh, some cost-effective ways to cut costs by, by looking at gently used baby gear on fa Facebook Marketplace or there are secondhand um, baby stores that you can go to all over the place. Between those two things and the generosity of my in-laws, shout out to Gail, my mother-in-law, who's a loyal listener of this podcast, uh, she offered to pick up a car seat for us, which is super generous and lovely. My mom is sewing us blankets and burp cloths and I think maybe bibs, I'm not entirely sure. And then all the other loved ones in our lives who are gifting us books and baby clothes, I'm confident our, our little one is going to be all set. You know, I'm really trying to resist the baby industrial complex that would have us all believe that we just need tons of baby gear to feel prepared. You know what makes me feel more prepared than having a boatload of crap in my house right now? Cash in the bank. <laughs> that is what makes me feel more secure. So I'm really trying to exercise restraint when it comes to buying stuff. In fact, for the first few months especially, the mere thought of all the baby stuff we had to buy was really overwhelming to me. I like couldn't get excited about it. I was like, I was having trouble wrapping my head around it. So that's part of the reason I really appreciated this paired back list of essentials, just the essentials, that was shared in a great book my nurse midwife recommended I pick up, The Mama Natural Week-by-Week -week Guide to Pregnancy and Childbirth by Genevieve Howland. And I'm not going to read the whole list to you, but you can go see it in today's corresponding blog post. It's the link in uh, the top link in our show notes. She lists out just the top must-have items. So it's not like a 100-item or 200-item spreadsheet that you're getting from friends saying, here's everything you need. <laughs> you know, a lot of well-intentioned people told me, here's what you have to buy. And early on in my pregnancy, I was way overwhelmed by that information. It just felt like too much, too soon, uh, too expensive. And I found it, you know, I had to kind of get on board mentally on my own time and in my, on my own terms. And this was... This was a helpful, this one list was paired back in a way that I found really helpful. I should say that um, the Mama Natural blog and book, it does have like a, a lens towards um, more all natural, good for the environment type stuff. 
I'm trying to take a, a more environmentally friendly and just like conscientious approach to baby buying stuff. So just know that if that's your jam, you'll also appreciate the Mama Natural blog and book. The only other additional items that we decided to pop for for our nursery, other than the fundamentals, like the basics, um, was a rocking chair. I bought a really cute rocking chair that I linked to in the post on the blog today off of Wayfair, which also always has coupons. Uh, and that that I think that'll be nice to have in the baby's room. And then I also ordered us a humidifier-air purifier combo. I got one off Amazon that, again, it's linked to in today's corresponding blog post. And I think that's especially important here in Denver, not only because of the dry air and the high altitude, but because fire season lately has really been bad and resulted in poor air quality in the summers here. So I just want to get a, I don't know, a jump start on that and make sure we're not breathing in bad air, toxic smoke uh, for baby. So does all this stuff add up? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. But I have to say, I've never been more grateful for the fact that pregnancy lasts 40 weeks, if if all goes according to plan, because we're going to need it, man. We are just taking things one step at a time, buying a few items each month, not trying to do it all at once and making it manageable. Uh, So that that's really helpful. Now, I should also acknowledge that it's common practice for new parents to also have a baby shower and have a gift registry for that, which can make a huge difference and just help make a dent in the startup costs to becoming a parent. Brad and I are feeling a little rebellious on that front. We're taking a slightly different approach. So this July, we're hosting a backyard barbecue instead in celebration of our baby on the way with all fully vaccinated friends and family members. And in lieu of gifts, frankly, because I already feel extremely fortunate on that front and pretty all set on that front, we are asking our guests to bring a pack of diapers, wipes, or formula with them for donating to a local nonprofit diaper bank here in Denver which if you don't know what a diaper bank is, you should check it out because you probably have one in your local town or city. They provide baby essentials for parents in need because one in three parents in our country experiences diaper shortages or just a lack of having adequate amounts of what are very expensive nowadays, diapers, wipes, the fundamentals, formula, super duper expensive, uh, the fundamentals to take care of your little ones. And I I just don't think that's right. So we're trying to do something about it while we celebrate our good fortune with our loved ones. Bottom line, babies certainly come with significant startup costs, but couponing, checking out used gear, and accepting the generosity of your community can go a long way in getting you set up. And also, you just don't need everything all at once. Take it one step at a time to keep things from getting too overwhelming. That's certainly the approach I'm taking. And I'm, I'm sure you all have better advice for me out there. So please feel free to add your suggestions to this. I just want to round this out by saying there are, you know, some shifts that we're anticipating as it relates to our ongoing, you know, post-baby's arrival spending and saving. In case it isn't already painfully obvious, I certainly appreciate the power of a plan when it comes to my finances. So I've already gone ahead and created my household monthly budget for next year with the assumption that our incomes don't rise at all. 
just to see how our spending and saving will have to change, especially because it's going to get tighter than it has been for a long time. Now, obviously, there's so much in life you can't predict. We don't know what the future holds, but it just feels a little more reassuring to at least have an educated guest or guess listed in black and white so we can project how things might go. And then we can adjust accordingly. So our new monthly costs, of which there are a few, obviously childcare. After parental leave is up, we're probably going to spend around twenty-five or $2,400 a month on a nanny. Groceries. I put an increase in our grocery budget um, just to account for like the additional food we might need, as well as diapers and wipes, which we'll probably pick up from the grocery store. Although I'm starting to find some really cool like subscription services that I might check out as well. I am planning on breastfeeding for a year if I can, but who the hell knows how that's going to go. So I'm just upping the grocery budget to be on the safe side. Healthcare. As far as healthcare expenses go, babies do go to the doctor pretty often. So we're going to need to budget a little more for doctor's visits visits, and uh, for the family plan for our health insurance. So that's going to go up uh, probably a significant about, amount. And then the final big thing, I'm probably going to need my own car. It has been so wonderful being car-free for almost a decade now, but I'm pretty sure that by the time baby comes, I'm going to want my own car and to not rely on sharing Brad's truck with him as needed. This is especially true since I won't be flying for work as much as I was previously. So I've been starting to look into this. I'm not even that excited about it, if I'm being honest, because I'm cheap. I don't like shelling out a ton of money for a car. Uh, And I also want to like it. Like whatever I'm paying this much for, I want to really like. So I'm probably going to finance this purchase uh, and have a monthly car payment plus insurance. So we're going to have to add $400 to $600 a month in car-related expenses. Ooh, man, it's been nice to go year after year not having to pay that for a while. Uh, and then finally, a couple shifts to our monthly savings. I wanted to address a college fund. It's noticeably missing from this blog post and podcast because while a lot of new parents save for babies college via a 529 fund, we're not really into that approach. Brad and I are more focused on real estate as our biggest investment strategy. So we're skipping the the college fund altogether in favor of prioritizing our real estate investing. Speaking of, our next down payment fund is probably going to be our biggest monthly savings priority. Um, You know, we're going to want to keep paying down our real estate debt, save for our future down payment, because I do anticipate that our 900 square foot house that we're in right now is probably going to feel a little cramped in the next year, especially with a baby. Uh, So we're already starting to think about our next move on that front. And then the usual stuff will will try to stay in the budget. Retirement, saving for retirement funds, saving for emergency fund, and saving a, a you know a modest vacation fund uh, for an annual vacation. Basically, what I'm saying here is that we're going to try to continue to put aside a few hundred dollars every month to retirement, our emergency fund, and our annual vacation fund to just keep those priorities moving forward. If perhaps at a bit slower of a pace than we were previously. Things are certainly going to be tight. I'm not lying. Like, it's going to be tight, especially if our incomes remain flat and our childcare costs end up being as high as they think they might be. 
But I'm trying to just remind myself that this period won't last forever. Um, and, you know, that the, that'll be well worth the expense and well worth the investment. All right. I know talking in detail about money can be a real turnoff for some folks, but I hope that by sharing my experience thus far, uh, really honestly, I can demystify how we're hoping to make it work in a way that's empowering, like I said at the top, and not overwhelming. There's a lot that goes into financially preparing for the arrival of a child, but all of these years of diligent effort have already paid off in a huge way by affording me a lot more peace of mind than I might otherwise have right now. My, my approach to pregnancy has been one focused on staying present, staying calm, and doing my best to stay healthy, both physically and mentally. And that's been made possible by the years of luck, but also sacrifice and saving that's that's brought us to this moment. Now, I know Brad and I are not the first to navigate this kind of a transition, so I welcome any and all advice, thoughts, feedback, glaring misses that I had in today's podcast. Uh, I would love to hear any thoughts you have for us during this crazy time. Um, please feel free to write in. You can always write the Bossed Up podcast at info at bossedup.org. Call in, leave me a voicemail with your boss tips or your boss move of the week at 910-668-BOSS or 2677. And feel free to comment on today's corresponding blog post. Just head to bossedup.org slash podcast to see all the latest. And thanks as always for listening uh, and weighing in and you know contributing, contributing to the Bossed Up community. If you found this podcast helpful, go ahead and share it wherever you spread the word on things like this. And I'd love to keep the conversation going with you in the Bossed Up Courage community on Facebook. Until next time, let's keep Boston in pursuit of our purpose. And together, let's lift as we climb.